This is Ryan Copeland's talking. Welcome to the final 2022 edition of Copeland's Corner. Um, I, I just realized coming up, I think it's I think it's the beginning of February. Um, we will have been doing this podcast for three years, which just totally blows my mind. So I'm surprised that anybody's listening. But uh, I hear from folks and our numbers are actually pretty decent. I'm just I didn't know it's going to go on this long with a pandemic and everything. So um, thank you for listening and thank you for supporting this podcast. I really appreciate it, as do the comics who are regulars on uh, on this podcast. And among them are three great ones we've got today. Three of my favorites. Laura Mayer joins us, Don Reed and Jason Mack, who's not been on the podcast in a long time how you guys all doing really Great. good yes okay jason where you been did you get married or something you got married right <laughs> no no you know what you asked me that before and i think it's because i used to tweet about a fake wife <laughs> it, was, it was just like uh you know sometimes it would be my real ex or sometimes it would just be a, a made-up situation a made but, up kind of uh, a made up kind of cat skills kind of wife yeah just like just like Perfect. just like playing this character of a of an idiot who you kind of understand why his wife's abusing him <laughs> but um and then i would reply to the tweets that i don't have a wife so maybe that's what you've been uh, asking me because every time you ask me if i have a wife i'm like no i know oh, i got something in my head text me that i thought you told me that you got married and i didn't hear from you from a long time so that made sense <laughs> yeah. and that's what happens whenever whenever a guy gets married he goes into the federal witness protection program I for know, a while right no but you know what uh i did get out of a relationship with someone with borderline personality disorder so that's been <laughs> so i've been hiding from uh from the world a little but no i've been in school uh it's my finals week so i'm, I'm a full-time student right now uh studying film at sf state so that takes All up right a lot on. of my time Thanks. right on good for you Don, what's happening with you? You got the new show going at the Marsh Berkeley? Yeah, that show, um, the Never Too Late show, which is about the laughter, deceit, and vindication of going through the Hollywood gauntlet to late night TV. And I got a great uh, partnership with the Carson Entertainment Group, so it has footage from The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and also clips and footage from HBO and shots from Getty Images and a bunch of other Jeff Kravitz and those guys that film magic. So it's a multimedia one person show that I'm loving doing. Loving. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, and you, you got your final show of the year coming up on Sunday. Is that correct? Yes. And okay. On the other side of the year. Yes. And people can get tickets at the Marsh Berkeley. So you go to the marsh.org, I'm assuming, right? Yes. The marsh.org for tickets. Yes. Okay. And, uh, and Lauren, congratulations on your album. Big thing. Thank you. My album is out. I'm starting to get some little bit of press about it and even sold a few, which is great. People don't. <laughs> nobody buys albums anymore because it's a lot easier to just get it on Shopify. But I think because this is sort of unique and it's definitely out in time for Hanukkah. It's an album of comedy songs about being a Jewish mother and also reframing the stereotype because, gee, there's some misogyny and anti-Semitism out these days. I'm so, shocked. Shocked. Yeah, shocked. I'll tell you. <laughs> shocked. Well, you made a list. You t Tell me about the list you made. The album. Oh, made. it's a woman named Alex Corey who writes about theater and cabaret, mostly in New York. And she did a list of recommended Hanukkah gifts and the top two on it were my album and Mel Brooks's memoir. So Woo! it's me, awesome. and, me and my buddy Mel. Awesome. But keeping it Jewish, you know, because he is. All right. Don't so, get too big for us. 
Oh, <laughs> trust me. I keep telling people I'm going to be an overnight success after a, I wrote a song a few years ago called an overnight success after 38 years. I have to keep moving the number up. <laughs> it hasn't quite happened yet, but That's working what they on say. It. it takes 25 years to make an overnight success. That's what it is. Well, I'm, I'm past my 25 years and then some, but that's okay. I'm having fun. So. All right. So I, I, I pulled some various tidbits, a lot of serious stuff in the news today. And I got a couple of those things, but I, I've got um, a, a lot of lighter stuff. It's the last show of the year. You know, yeah. holidays coming out. Well, we're in the middle of the holidays, actually. Um, but I, would, I do want to start with this. You know, I, again, if you if you are new to this podcast, um, we we record this on Wednesday afternoons and it drops on Thursdays. So you may know what this is by the time that you hear this podcast. But uh, about an hour ago, um, Donald Trump made a, a, a I guess, posted on Truth Social, um, which is his, his platform uh, that America needs a superhero. And he's promising a major announcement tomorrow on Thursday. And so major announcement, he's got all in caps. So why do you have to capitalize major announcement? First of all, I mean, just insane major announcement enough. It's got to be caps. So, 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 so two, two questions that are kind of floating through my mind is number one, what would Donald Trump's superhero name be? Number two, what do you think the major announcement is? Or you can flip them around and, and answer the major announcement question first. I got a superhero name. His superhero name is Orange Foolius. <laughs> the other one I've seen for him is Mango Mussolini, which I love too. Yeah. I can't think of a major, I mean, he already made his major ho-hum announcement that he was running. So the only thing that would be bigger than that is who his running mate is. And there's a lot of speculation that it'll be Carrie Lake. That's exactly That's- what I'm thinking. That's oh, exactly God. what I'm thinking. Because and she's campaigning for the job. That's why she's suing, you know, the the elections. Uh right. But that's great, though. There's no way she's going to help. That's great. I love that. No, there's not. Well, she she's very media savvy, having been an anchor woman for a number of years. And uh, yeah. and and she she's good on television. She's telegenic. She knows how to play a camera. She knows how to work the room. So, you know, he likes made for TV stuff. But here's the other thing, though, is generally you get the nomination before you pick your running mate. Right. So so I think this is he, he feels like he's got to do something because there was a poll that came out yesterday that shows that Ron DeSantis is uh, favored over him by Republicans by 23 points. He's 23 points behind DeSantis yeah. among Republicans. So he feels like he's got to do something, I'm assuming. Well, you know, look at that. OK, she's supposed to be so savvy. She couldn't even win her midterm. So good luck there. Right. And the other thing is a running mate is supposed to pick up a demographic that you're in trouble with, which is why he picked Pence, because, you know, he wasn't exactly a hit with the religious crowd. Evangelicals. Yeah. Yeah, Evangelicals and Christians and and people who don't cheat on their wives. But um, (laughs) Carrie Lake isn't. Was running badly among people who don't yeah. <laughs> and bury them on golf courses. At least nobody has proven that Pence has cheated on his wife. So, oh, but Carrie Lake, but Carrie Lake doesn't add. I mean, they've got the exact same demographic, and she's just better than he is at smearing Vaseline on her video cameras. 
<laughs> Haven't you ever noticed that every video that she releases has that soft focus? Oh, Ooh, yeah. Moves. Yeah. That's exactly what it looks like. Right. That is media savvy. And that's exactly what it what it reminds me of is Joan Collins on Dynasty. Every shot yes. of Joan Collins, it was like they were shooting through a jar of Vaseline. Exactly. I oh, thought about that right. when I do my videos every week. I just don't have time to clean the computer. But it's like, hmm, <laughs> maybe I should put some Vaseline on. I'm looking a little tired. <laughs> Wow. Uh, Jason, thoughts? Any idea what he's announcing? <laughs> Any idea what his superhero name should be? Uh, no and no. Okay. <laughs> no, Jason, I, well, we missed you, Jason. Thanks, thanks for, I'm glad to have yes. you back for all your hey. enormous contributions to the hey, program. Yeah, Thank you. I, I don't, you know, I don't miss having to know what's going on politically. <laughs> <laughs> and Jason has better things to do with his time than worry about yeah, what his major no. announcement yeah. is. Yeah. No, but you know, uh, but I just think that Trump is just, he's got to be campaigning all the time. It's part of his, his big old scam. He's got to be able to campaign and be getting people's donations constantly uh, and just keep himself in the news that way. And part of that is he's just trying to dodge accountability for all the stuff going on and give him the, the, the quote, the, plausible deniability and, and cover of the of the office yeah and be able to claim that oh that's just because i'm running for president it's all but you can't announce that you're running for president earlier than anyone else in history and be like oh you can't prosecute me so right i i don't know about this guy that's what i'm saying well, yeah this, uh, this, this, I have a- the, the special prosecutor is is not messing around I mean, he's issuing subpoena. He's like in a hospital bed or something in like the Netherlands. He was like prosecuting something over there and he hurt himself. And so he's like going to be in the Netherlands for the time being. And he's subpoenaing people to appear before the grand jury. You know, people who who Trump or uh, or Giuliani have uh, uh, called. Uh, after the 2020 election and tried to 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 strong arm them into to, uh, getting fake electors and all this stuff. He's not messing around. People no. thought that he was going to be slow walking this or it was going to take a while. He'd have to get up to speed. Uh-uh. He's hitting the ground running. Literally. And actually, that may be related to the Trump announcement, because one thing he's been really good at doing is trying to deflect when he knows something big is coming out against him, whether it's the results of a lawsuit. He always seems to want to do a press conference or an announcement on the day that other news is going to drop to try to take a trench away from it. So maybe that means yeah. something big is dropping tomorrow. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a uh, an interesting piece uh, on the Daily Beast website uh, today, Wednesday, uh, and that is that you know you may know, I'm sure you know by now, that last week the Trump organization was uh, convicted of tax fraud, 17 different criminal counts related to a 15 year tax fraud scheme. And they got one of the jurors to to talk. The Daily Beast got one of the jurors to Ooh. talk. The juror who's, who's, who spoke to them uh, asked to remain anonymous and, because she's afraid of backlash by the MAGA people. So she's uh, asked to remain anonymous. But here's what she said, which is kind of interesting. And that is that um, pretty much m- the, the jury hated Donald Trump. The jury mm-hmm. did not like Donald Trump. And they, they assumed just going into this before the case started that anything that was associated with the Trump name was going to be scamming. It was going to be something that had to do with fraud. But, you know, they said that they could put all that aside and that they could look at the evidence that was presented in 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 court and render an unbiased, fair decision verdicts based upon what it is they heard in court. So they so this juror said that what it is that they did in order to make sure that they could be unbiased about this was they never mentioned Trump's name. 
They never mentioned Trump's name when they were in deliberations. They only referred to him as Joe Smith. And they referred <laughs> and they referred really? to the organization as Mr. Smith's company. Yeah, that's how they did it. Is they, wow. they referred him only as Joe Smith. So Mr. Smith's company did this. And they, they just said that, you know, the, the witnesses that the defense put up and the defense attorneys were just insulting and infuriating to, to them. And uh, and and just uh, they, they felt like they were demeaned and talked down to. And they said what really pissed them off about the fraud thing was that this was the Trump Corporation cheating everyday people because they, they said things like, you know, this this jury said things like we, we, we talked in the jury room about do you want to get potholes fixed? OK, well, basically, by cheating on their taxes, they're keeping the potholes from getting fixed sooner because they're taking money away that we're paying, you know, and and she said that she thought about and she had to keep this out of her head about how during the debate with Hillary Clinton, when it was mentioned that he hadn't paid taxes, he said that called me smart. That makes me smart. Remember that? Right. Yeah. You know, so basically saying that everybody who pays taxes is stupid. Well, it's that same Leona Helmsley thing. Paying taxes is for the little people. That's right. It's just an extension of that. That's right. Okay. So. Here's my question is, is do you think that he can get a fair trial? Because there's nobody in this country who doesn't have an opinion one way or the other about him. Can he get a fair trial? Because he's going to be indicted. Every legal expert in the country says he's going to be indicted and he's probably going to be indicted on the document scandal. That's what I was going to say. Do, do you think that I'm answering, asking, answering your question with a question? Do you think he can use that to his advantage? Can Trump's camp use it to his advantage that he cannot get a fair trial in this country. Yes, absolutely. It'll 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 fire up the MAGA base. Uh, he, he calls it political persecution. You know, he's he, for somebody who's such a winner. He cries victim an awful lot. Awful. And, well, and that's just like but the thing is, it's like, the, you know, any of these celebrity trials, OJ, Bill Cosby, you know, people who have huge public profiles, everybody's going to have an opinion. But like that juror said that you quoted in the interview, they were able to look at the facts of the case and, and set aside their opinions of the person. And I mean, if he can't get a fair trial, then no public figure can. Well, you know, it, it, but it can cut both ways. Yeah. And, you know, I can just mention two words, OJ Simpson. Yeah, right. I mean, it can cut both ways. So um, but yeah, he can use this if he and if he gets indicted. Oh, man, if he gets indicted, that's a cash cow for him. Exactly. I mean, he'll he'll you know be asking for money to fight, you know, for his legal defense fund. Wait a minute. You're a bill. Why are you always asking for money? You're a billionaire. Right. And why exactly. are you always sending out fundraising letters? Why don't you just paying for your own campaign? Well, and by his same logic, if the whole country loves him like he claims and everybody wants him as president, then, of course, actually, he'll get a more than fair trial because all the jurors will love him. If, if you know, if you actually use his own words. <laughs> oh, right, right. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene told Ew. the gala. Oh, yeah. Oh. So I, any sentence that starts out Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh. So, so, I know. So, so she told this gala that the January 6th insurrection would have been more successful if she and Steve Bannon had been in charge because the participants would have been armed, among other things. Oh, my. God. Well, she claims that was comedy. I read that and she claimed she was kidding because, of course, right wingers now are really good at comedy, apparently. 
Well, what happens is, is that they make a statement like that. And then when they get called on it, rather than walk it back, they claim they were joking. The same as Trump saying that we need to suspend the, 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 the Constitution right. in order to put him back in office and overturn the 2020 election. You know, he, he puts this on his own blog on this true social website. Everybody goes nuts and criticizes him. And then he he walks it back by saying that he was what did he say? He was kidding or that he yeah. was, you know, he's mis- I misquoted myself. <laughs> can, I go, can I go back to Marjorie Taylor Greene? Though, no, because there, there was another aspect of her. I don't know if you saw that she was also talking about the decline in in morality and civilization and gave a whole rant about how you can get butt plugs at CVS. You can no, those are for your ears, Marjorie. <laughs> those are to cancel out there's, noise. They're not to stick up your butt. There, you know, there's a, a section of sexual, um, I don't know, not devices, but, you know, lubes and condoms and various things. And I guess she found a CVS. But she did this whole part of her speech about butt plugs. And just like and she tried yeah. to walk it back on stage. She tried to. <laughs> Literally. That reminds me that you ever heard that old joke? A guy goes to the doctor's office. He's having some stomach problems. He's not feeling well. So the doctor gives him some suppositories, comes back a week later and says, doctor, these these suppositories are not. I'm sorry, I messed it up already. <laughs> I messed it. Let me back it up. He goes to the doctor's what? office. He's not feeling well. Doctor gives him lots of suppositories. He's never had suppositories before, so he didn't know what to do with them. So he eats them. He eats this whole box of suppositories. So he goes back to the doctor, says the suppositories aren't working. Doctor says, What are you doing? Eating them? Guy says, No, I'm shoving them up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's even funnier when you start it the wrong way. <laughs> you got to remember to start that wrong, then back it up. <laughs> then walk it back. Just walk like back. Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene, you're in good company. Just walk <laughs> it back. Um, all right. Speaking of thin skinned billionaires. Okay. So this, this is a great Ooh. story. So Elon Musk publicly suspended the Twitter account of a uh, University of Central Florida student by the name of Jack Sweeney, who had a Twitter account that tracked the whereabouts of Musk's private plane. He, I don't know how he did it, but he was able to constantly 24 hours a day tell you where Elon Musk's private jet was. And he had 500,000 followers. So about a week ago, people were asking Elon Musk, I guess somebody in the press, if he was going to suspend that account. And he, you know, comes out with this. I'm a free speech absolutist and all of this stuff again to justify firing all the, the quality control people and all the people who were looking out for hate speech for Twitter. He's claiming that he's completely for free speech. But what people don't know is that behind the scenes, he went to the kid and offered the kid five thousand bucks to take the site, to take the Twitter account down. Only five thousand. That's what the kid said. And the kid said, no, give me fifty thousand and an internship. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he said to Elon Musk. He wanted wanted 50,000 and an internship. And Elon Musk scoffed at that. And then today the uh, the Twitter account is permanently suspended. And he didn't apparently do anything wrong, because at least what I was reading about the story is you can publicly access flight details about privately owned planes. That's right. Of a certain size. The other one I heard he took down was the person who posted the video of him getting booed at the Dave Chappelle show. Oh, he sure did. But he took that account down, too. And of course, it's out there. So, I mean, I, I saw it. So th- let me let me get this straight. So you can say the N word to your heart's content. You can tweet the N word to your heart's content. But if you say anything bad 
or anything controversial or anything Elon Musk doesn't like about him, then your account gets suspended or then you get banned from Twitter. Other than that, you can say whatever they say that hate speech and the use of the N word jumped by 500 yes. percent the first day that he wow. owned Twitter. The only, percent. the only the only time you can't use the N word is if you used it against Musk, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, I'm, I'm assuming that's probably correct. And talk about, I mean, you know, this is a guy who claims he has such a great sense of humor. He is so thin skinned. And I mean, the way he reacted, I don't know if you guys saw the video of people booing him. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and he's not even like trying to crack a joke, just saying I'm rich. And then later claimed it was 90 percent cheers and 10 percent booze. Oh, it's please, like, please. We saw the video. Yeah, he makes like you Trump look confident. I'm sorry, this guy, like, I, I just feel sorry a, for him almost. He could have got a this guy's the confidence a, of a stand up comic. Oh, that's an insult to stand up comics. You have way more confidence, and you're way funnier than he is. <laughs> well, thank you, but I don't have a billion dollars. Well, well, he's got more than that. What's he, he got? He, How many billion, he doesn't have a billion either. He has like 144 billion. Yeah, that's right. Something like that. And he's losing a lot of that. His stock, you know, Tesla stock is going down. And you know, he got his money from mommy and daddy. He didn't, you know, he bought. Well, he got a seed money from mommy and daddy. He, he built like, that himself. Yeah. That's like most stand up comics. <laughs> <laughs> the overwhelming majority. Um, OK, this, now this is a, is, is a story that's interesting. Um, the American Journal of Medicine. American Journal of Medicine uh, conducted a study and they found that unvaccinated people, people who were not vaccinated against COVID-19, were 50 to 70 percent more frequently involved in traffic accidents than those who had been vaccinated. 50 to 70 percent. And so they say that what their theory is, is that people who don't follow public health advice may also be neglecting the rules of the road. If they're not going to follow public health advice, you're not going to follow, you know, stop wow. signs or speed limit signs or whatever. So there is talk uh, based on this study of possibly raising the insurance rates, the auto insurance rates of drivers who are not vaccinated. Wow. Now, do you think that that's something that should be done? Do you do you buy this study? I don't know what their methodology was. I have no idea how they conducted it. You know, this is really weirdly related, but I got sick a couple weeks ago and I was actually it's going to be somehow related to everything. I was in the CVS drive through doing a covid test with the the um, Q-tip in my nose and a woman rear ended me. Oh, oh my God. Oh, 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 ow, ow, ow. She, she was trying to get around me because she was impatient and she was she was like yelling, trying to get my attention. And then she was yelling because she thought I was ignoring her. And the dude at the drive through window was like, yeah, just ignore. Her. We've been doing this for a long time. They should know what's going on. And I and, and I did a whole like meditation on this. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to let her impatience affect me. I'm safe in my car. <laughs> and then she there's ran nothing, you. There's nothing she can do to hurt me. And then bam, she <laughs> whacked me. So I Man. think to me, I'm thinking a lot about how people are just really wounded right now. And people who had impulse control issues to begin with, are, have been through this really this global traumatic 
event and a lot of the more impulsive ones are also the people who are not willing to take basic steps to keep themselves safe and to keep everyone else safe and wow. to extrapolate kind of the the huge mountain of evidence that it takes that humans really aren't designed to process like the idea of a vaccine the the managing the risk is just not something we're designed to be able to understand with all the variables you're kind of just having to make a decision that either you, you trust it's going to make you you and other people safer or not and if you don't then you um you rear end me when i'm trying to get <laughs> tested in the drive-thru so you didn't hurt yourself did you? i mean you didn't like push this into your brain or anything did the, the swab into your brain you <laughs> no to... i mean i tightened up for it it's 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 hard when i get in an accident because of my my muscle tension and stuff, but I'm yeah. going to be okay. It was, it was the least major accident I've been in. <laughs> God. <laughs> when you talk about insurance companies though, yeah. I mean, if, if, again, they have to replicate the study or, or, you know, do it on a larger scale, but if that's true, I mean, insurance companies can raise rates or deny you for all sorts of reasons. The first time I applied for insurance on my own, they looked up my medical records and one time I had been prescribed a sleeping pill and it was because of, I don't know, some stress I had gone through. But based on that, they were able to raise my insurance rates for- What, life insurance, insurance or health insurance? Health insurance. Health insurance. And it wasn't like I was still taking it or had done it. I'd gotten one sleeping pill once. So, I mean, I'm saying, and insurance companies can do anything they want because yeah. they're private. A key factor is if they can make more money at it, then they'll find any way to do it. Right. And and also, but there is a, a legitimate reason for raising, you know, like with health insurance rates raised for people who smoke or take other risks. Sure, sure. So if it's somebody who's not vaccinated, who is statistically like teenage boys, not all 16 yep. year old boys drive terribly, but statistically they are more likely to. So that makes actually that's completely analogous because it's not that one individual boy, but that boys more than girls have accidents at that age. So their rates are higher. So people who aren't vaccinated have accidents that are higher rates. Well, it's not even boys. It's young men. You know, it's, if you're if you were a male and under the age of 25, you're going to pay more for your insurance. It's so it's inaccurate, though. OK, so here's the thing. I've been driving since 2014. Almost. <laughs> no, no, no. Seriously. No. Oh, You've oh, only sorry. been driving since 2014. <laughs> no, from from. LA to San Francisco almost every week, except for the pandemic. Almost every week is a part of my writing process. I drive from LA to San Francisco and back each week on the norm, thousands and thousands of miles. And this will be very unpopular and leaning towards, you know, uh, am I misogynistic or what? The key is this by far, the person I see speed by me the most is a Underrated car, not a high performance car, and by a large margin, it's girls 18 to 25, that window. That's who speeds the most. And I count them and I watch them. That's you, know, I, you know what's funny about that, and, and, and this is it's the same as what you're saying is completely anecdotal, but we, we've got to be wrong on this statistically, because but I see the same thing if I'm driving on the freeway. And uh, and I, I was thinking about this driving on the freeway yesterday because it happened and I want to change lanes and the car in the lane next to me speeds up and won't let me over nine times out of ten. It's an underage girl. Yeah. Nine times out of ten. Uh, it's the same kind of thing that, that I've got a high performance car. Whatsoever. No, no. In, in like right. a Honda or, right. or, you know, something, and, something like and, that. 
as the lone woman on the panel, I, I actually am going to sort of agree with you because I had two sons and they never had accidents. And more and all of the stories of their peer group from, you know, 16 to when they graduated high school, all of the ones who had accidents were girls. So I was really torn because as a woman, I hate the female driver, woman driver jokes. But yeah. as a parent of two boys who was paying almost twice the rates of these girls' parents that were paying for their insurance, it's like, my kids aren't the ones having the accidents. So well, you know, like, my- I, I had two boys and a girl, and, and I was lucky in that none of them even got a ticket. No, at least that I'm aware of. I mean, no, maybe the ticket got sent to them and they paid it, just didn't tell me. But nobody's rates went up, so I'm assuming they didn't get a ticket. But my brother, my brother is 20, and he's the he's the dumbest driver I've ever encountered. In what regard? He's just he's just he's just an idiot all around. Has he had accidents though? Have you ever met these people, 20 year old? boys i raised two yes i raised two myself somehow like you know how teenagers are they get they get worse i got lucky i got very very lucky i gotta say i got lucky too go ahead i guess i did too all right well i guess i didn't i guess i didn't get lucky (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry don i cut you off you were saying i know my sons are uh one's 24 today and happy birthday thanks to him um, but um, I guess I got lucky. Never had any issues in those areas, you know. Um, here's the other thing that that I, I kind of thought was unfair, um, and I thought it it skewed more. And again, this is completely anecdotal. I, I have always felt that this skews more towards girls than it does towards boys. And that's and I don't know if they still do this because my kids are out of that age range. But that that high school students, they will give a discount if you have a B average. If you had a 3.0, I don't, I don't know if that was college, too, or if it was just high school, but if you carried a B average, at least a B average, then you got the you got a, a, an extra discount on your insurance based yeah. upon that. You know, so I wonder, you know, is is the rationale that if you're getting good grades, it means you're not going to speed? No, the rationale, again, this is where studying statistics is useful. Anecdotal can can skew your perspective of things. Statistically, the people who have the most accidents in high school have lower grades. That doesn't necessarily mean it's it's a causality, but if it's correlated, that means the insurance companies are paying out more for people who have lower grade averages. So it makes sense for them to give a discount. I don't think, I mean, I don't think they did it as an incentive to help people raise their grades. It's just a reaction to what the statistics are. I see. So, so bottom line is, is that they can use this study about, about COVID-19 vaccines in, in order to to raise the rates of those drivers who are vaccinated. Well, yeah, and not- of the ones who haven't, you know, like you had a statistic a while ago, Brian, about how much more likely unvaccinated people are to die from COVID. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, well, there, there was another stat that was like that. I think we had it last week or two weeks ago that came out that if you live in a red state or if you're a Republican, uh, not not a red state, if you are a Republican, your odds of dying from COVID are through the roof. That that compared to compared to Democrats, there are way more. It's it's like so uh, 
out of whack in terms of the balance is like 70 percent of those who are dying from COVID are Republicans, mm. you know, or 60 percent, something 65 or 70 percent, some, some high, crazy number because they're they're against vaccines. We see this right. DeSantis story that the DeSantis yes. is calling for a grand jury to investigate COVID vaccines. And I saw Dr. Fauci on CNN, who was asked to comment on that. And he said he doesn't understand what the problem with vaccines is, that there's a study that came out that he he cited that came out this week that since we've had the vaccines, which he says it's been about a year and a half, two years since we've had the vaccines, 3.2 million lives have been saved, 18 million hospitalizations have been prevented, and $1 trillion in costs have been saved because of the vaccines. Fauci also had the best response to Musk because um, Musk put out that awful tweet, like, let's let's be transphobic and stupid and that my pronouns are prosecute Fauci. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And Fauci's response was when somebody asked, he said something like, I I am not going to comment on that cesspool of distraction, I think is what he's calling to Twitter has now since Musk took over has become a cesspool of distraction. Yeah. Um, yeah, which made me like him even more. Yeah, but those facts, uh, Brian, are concrete. I mean, why yeah. how, Why couldn't someone just look at that and say, okay, let me shift gears here? I don't, I don't get it. Because, well, because they won't change their mind. And because it's coming from the liberal media or because the, the, the organization that, uh, that conducted the study is somehow liberal or biased or because George Soros is behind the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> some, well, in fact, you know, that's, you know, they, they've got this lawsuit going. Actually, that's one of the stories I had for today is um, Rupert Murdoch uh, has been deposed. He's being deposed in this lawsuit against Fox News. He's being deposed as we speak. And he was deposed mm-hmm. yesterday and sit for a deposition. And I guess he fought it. And the judge said, no, your ass is going to talk under oath and answer questions. And because Fox News is being sued by Dominion Voting Systems for defamation by Fox News hosts and by their guests for lying about the company and its voting machines after the 2020 election. They did absolutely nothing wrong. And their business was decimated by all of these Fox News hosts and all these these quack guests that they put on who were slamming Dominion and Dominion voting machines. And so they're deposing Hannity. They're deposing every, uh, Laura Ingraham. All of them have got to sit under oath and answer questions about what they knew and whether or not they knew what they were saying was untrue. And and uh, as well as uh, as the editorial department of Fox in terms of what they allowed them to say and, and did they encourage them to, to say stuff like this? That's great. That is just great. Yeah, it's a billion dollar lawsuit. And I don't see how they lose it. All you got to do is look at the tape. I mean, all you got to do is look at the tape and it's all commentary. It's not, you know, that's the whole thing. Fox News is not news. It should be called the Fox Commentary Network. Wasn't that their defense? There was another lawsuit from another company against Tucker Carlson and Fox's defense was that nobody really you know, our viewers know that Tucker is an entertainer, not a journalist. Oh, they always say that. yeah, that's that's the same cra- crap defense that 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 Rush Limbaugh would use. Right. You know, he'd say these horrible things. And whenever he was called out or whenever somebody was going to sue, he claimed that he's an entertainer. It was right. not called Fox Entertainment. No, exactly. Fox, and they would say Fox this news. is news. They would say these are facts. So that's right. That's right. So just, you know, if it's if it's entertainment, then change the name. They shouldn't be. I mean, just in terms of truth and advertising. I mean, the FTC should make them Federal Trade Commission should make them stop putting news in in uh, the, the name of that network right. because it's not news. It's commentary. It's 100 percent commentary. That's all it is. You know, so um, but I hope they lose their asses. 
I really hope they lose their asses in this lawsuit. I mean, because yeah. they should. I mean, with the stuff that they were saying, it's just unbelievable. But one of the things, one of the, the conspiracy theories was that was that Dominion and George Soros were in cahoots, you know, to, to, to rig the voting machines in order to take votes away from Trump so Biden could win. Well, it's always George Soros. I mean, yeah. that's like, you know. What is his? How did he make his money? Wasn't it like, isn't it like the University of Phoenix? Is that right? Something like that. And that then he him? became a huge philanthropist. But I mean, they don't care where he got his money. They, they, they hate him because he's Jewish and he's liberal. You yeah. know, I, th- I think more liberal than Jewish is why. They yeah, hate him. but he but it, they, they, it's convenient. I, I think I really think uh, Dominion can win because yeah. it really emboldened the distrust in the voting system. That's right. For the right. And when they see that, it'll be easy, as you said, from the tape to, to spell that out. So. I really hope they win. I really do. Uh, let's see what else have I got here. Uh, Florida pastor, a Florida pastor and his son. That's right. You see this? We're arrested yeah, today on yeah. charges of fraudulently obtaining eight million dollars in COVID relief funds. Uh, and they used some of the money to buy a luxury home near Disney World. Yep. And, how, and how they got the money was that the PPP. Um, federal aid that was supposed to go for payroll and to keep businesses afloat during COVID they applied for. And what they claimed was that the ministry had 486 employees and a pay and a payroll of $2.7 million a month that they had, that they had to make. And so they got $8 million in in funds and they, and when they investigated, I guess a local NBC local or somebody investigated there in, in, in Florida. And they found that the office was locked. Exactly. And and, and then they talked to people in the neighborhood who said, well, there's never anybody going. There's never anybody there. Exactly. (laughs) When you said a Florida pastor and his son, I was waiting for the story to continue that they were having an affair with the same pool boy, that they had molested teenage (laughs) girls, that they had molested teenage boys or that they'd stolen money from somebody. It's like you could just fill in that sentence with just about anything. (laughs) Once it starts. Yeah. Yeah. Four hundred. I mean, it it takes some it takes some some rocks you know, to, to be able to, to make a claim like that. I mean, it's, it's such an outrageous claim. You have no employees, basically, it sounds like, and you're claiming you got 486. How did they come up with the number 486? Exactly. Uh, I've got, I think they felt like 500 to on the nose. So let's right. go with 486, right? That would have been, been greedy. You know? so, but, but the point is that how, why would you go that far? Why wouldn't you say you had, 38 employees or something like that, or 112. But why? It's, it's, it's Florida. Everything is bigger in Florida. Oh, I thought that was Texas. Well, that's true, too. OK, well, you know, <laughs> there, there are, are from what I understand there. And actually, I know of a couple. Uh, I know of at least one uh, here in, in where, near where I live who was rumored to have uh, collected PPP funds that they did not use for the business that they used for other things. And, and the employees got laid off or the employees didn't get paid. You know, the whole idea was to be able to keep your employees on. Yeah. Um, so, but lot, and, and who did claim 38 employees or 40 employees or, or something that, that wouldn't, you know, cause the federal government to raise an eyebrow, but 486, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's balls. And, and a lot that's, of that's balls. 486. And that, and that they didn't vet it more carefully, because I have a friend who did get a PP loan for a day spa that she and three partners own, and they it was really hard, and they went through incredible hoops to get it, and they did finally, which is what kept them from having to close their business, and that saved them 
and save their employees. But they have like three employees and they it was so I wonder why it wasn't more difficult to get that approved for that. Well, here's the thing. In the beginning, it was easy. At the very, very beginning of it, they were just throwing money out at people yeah. who, who asked for it. They were and the SBA was giving loans very easily as well. Uh, and, and, you know, without proof of documentation of what the business was grossing or anything else uh, in, in the very beginning. But as time yeah. went on, then they tightened up. See, and Brian, why didn't why didn't you apply and claim us all as employees? I should have done that. <laughs> I should have done that. I should have said I had four hundred and eighty seven. Employees. <laughs> yeah. I, I can have a house near Disney World right now, but no, right. no, I decided not to do that um, on the topic of money. I'll ask you this. Uh, as far as your checking account balance is concerned, how much money do you think is the, the right amount of money to keep in your checking account? How much money is the, is the right amount? That's not too much because too much money in your checking account. They call dead money because it's not getting interest. It's just sitting there. And and how much is too is uh, is, is too little? Uh, because if it's too little, then you're going to deal with overdraft and the average overdraft fees in the country are like thirty three fifty eight. So so how much do you think is the right amount? I'll ask you before I tell you. Well, I mean, it, I would have been different when interest rates were higher. I mean, right now, saving accounts make so little money um, that you'd probably have to have tens and tens of thousands of dollars before it even became an issue. And I don't know about you guys, but that's never been an issue for me. So <laughs> yeah, I was going to say me either. Yeah, I've never had the amount of money where I really had to worry about how much interest I was losing. There's too much money in my checking account. I mean, more than a thousand? It'd hey, be Don? too much? I, I would say the, the number would be around 3,500. Okay, how do you come to that? Um, trying to make sure there isn't too much there so you don't make dumb decisions and the other money somewhere else working for itself, but enough to handle an immediate emergency and not having to go, you know, get it out of some other account. To the pawn shop. I think it's the phrase you were looking for. Exactly. <laughs> the pawn shop. Exactly. Okay. Jason. I'd say like maybe $10,000. I don't know what your numbers. We're going to find out. I can't yeah. wait, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Doesn't this feel like the price is right? You guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I know two things. I know that you're supposed to have a few months of rent available and that I've never had too much money in my checking account. Not even close. Okay, here's what they're saying. They're saying that you should have two months salary plus a 30% buffer. In your checking account. In your checking account on a regular basis. That, that's what, what, the, what the financial experts are saying today. Uh, if, if you don't want too much and you, because it's dead, again, they call it dead money, or if you don't want too little so you can avoid overdrafts, you should have two months salary plus a 30% buffer. And I mean, who the hell can do that? Okay, I gotta get I gotta get off for a second. I have to go make some phone calls. Um. <laughs> that to me is like those those luxury apartment buildings that are going up. Um, and I, there's one right near the Conservatory of Music where I teach part time. And just for a laugh, I want I went in and looked at an application, and they want you to have your salary. These are very expensive apartments. You know, like four or five thousand for a studio. Well, where and is this again? San Francisco downtown um, right. Civic Center area, and they want you. Your income needs to be three times the monthly rent plus some percentage. Your your after tax monthly income, like three point five times the rent. So I mean, you take home pay. So you take home pay. pay. So you take home pay. It needs to be something like like fifteen or twenty grand. 
Yeah, a month. to be able to afford a five thousand, which is to be like that's the same thing. Like, who has two months' salary plus thirty percent just floating around in their checking account? Well, you know, some people do. Trump, Elon Musk. You know, <laughs> you know, some people who do. I thought. Yeah, here's where I thought you were going. I thought you were going somewhere with those. I always hated these. The those those luxury apartments that go up or luxury condos that go up, and they put the big banner out that says, you know, it's right next to the freeway that says, if you lived here, you'd be home by now. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's where I thought you were going. Those have oh. always irritated the hell out of me. I know where I was going with that. It just irritates the hell out of me. I hate those too. <laughs> like if you live, if I live there. I no kidding. No kidding. All right. Um, the uh, the website Inspirational Quotes um, posted today the six most quoted movie lines. There, there are some movie lines that are, um, are, are, are lines that have, have they say have come into the, 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 the public vernacular because the, the line is so great or the film is so great. And they posted their top six. So some of these are easy and some of these I had no idea where they came from. Do we get to guess them or no? I'm going to let you guess them. I'll tell you the the quote. Tell me where it came from. Okay. Uh, First one. I fart in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster. Your father (laughs) smelt of elderberries. Monty Python. Ooh, very good. Very good. Isn't that from the French? The French? The French soldier and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay. Uh, Here's another one. Hello, my name is Negro Montaya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Really? Else, you don't know yes, that? I do. I do. I wanted to give somebody else a chance. Princess Bride. That's right. Very good. Mandy Patinkin. Carrie, Carrie always says that people come up to him and quote entire scenes. He like can't go out and eat because people will come up and be <laughs> quoting stuff to him from Princess Bride. Oh, that's Which, another good book. He has a memoir out about the making of the movie mm-hmm. and he does impressions of all the people in it. He's hilarious. Oh, no. And the audiobook. Yeah, the audiobook. I'll have to check it out. Uh, okay, and some of these are easy. Um, leave the gun, take the cannoli. Uh, no, it's Godfather. Okay. No, no, Goodfellas, rather. Okay, guys. Godfather. That's one of the Godfather ones. It's it's the Godfather. Oh, it is it's, Godfather. It's right. Clemenza in in the Godfather. Okay, they call it a Royale with cheese. Pulp Fiction. Very good, Vincent and Pulp Fiction. Travolta. Uh, here's one I did not know. Nobody f's with Jesus. It's huh. a great quote. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> f's with Jesus. And this is a film I've never seen. I heard this. Oh, Nobody, yeah. no idea. I looked it up. Oh, no, no fair. No, you can't cheat. See, no, that's I mean- what- I'm See, not sure Barbara's are no good. But I I just looked it up now. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't count. What is I'm it? Try, I'm not trying to get points here, but now I, <laughs> now I know. <laughs> the Big Lebowski. Okay. That's what I've I was never seen say. The, I've never I've seen never, the Big Lebowski. And I've never heard that line before. I would think it's a great line. You're telling me that's more popular than I'll have what she's having? You know, right. I would think so. And you know that that was um, um, it was Billy Crystal who came up with that line when they were shooting. It was, he ad libbed and came up with that line when they were shooting that scene. And it's Rob Reiner's mother, Carl Reiner's yes. wife, Estelle, who's the one who delivers it. And, and AFI has it as one of the top 10 most famous lines, not most not most quoted, I don't think. I, oh, I, I've seen it quoted on memes and I, mean, yeah. I love that line. Yeah, that's a great line. 
I thought, okay, okay, so I can't believe these are the top six because I wrote down what I thought. Well, hang on, I didn't get to all six. Let me get. Oh, okay. Yeah, let me. And this is an easy one. The last one's an easy one. Of all the gin joints in all the towns and all the world, she walks into mine. Casablanca. Very good. Okay, go ahead. So what? So what? What are the ones you wrote down? I thought you were going to say, "I'll be back." Ooh, you would think that would be one. Or yeah. for sure, I thought you'd say, "You complete me, Jerry Maguire." Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay. I could see that. Or what about "As God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again"? Although that's from a horrible movie, but I've seen that quoted a bunch. You know, it's not a horrible movie. I mean, well, now, looking it, yeah. at it through the lens of the 21st century, that movie gets slammed, and and not you know, far be it from me to defend a movie that glorifies the Confederacy. Yeah. But but it it's you know when you look at what was done with that film, what was done cinematically, when you look at the acting yeah. in that movie, and when you look at the fact that it was 1938 when they shot it, 1939 when it was released, it's you know it's it's deservedly a classic. It really. I, I, I didn't mean terrible. I meant problematic. And then yeah, the other one that agree should. With that should definitely be on that list and is quoted all the time is fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night that, I mean, that, Where's that is, from? you've never heard that. No, oh, no. Betty uh, Davis, right? Betty Davis, all about Eve. Right. Oh, I've fasten your, oh my God. That's one of the best written screenplays ever. And right. it's a really sophisticated, they, they cited a lot as a top movie because of the writing and it's a great, great roles for women. Great. Sort of and Baxter, about, right. And Baxter, uh, George Saunders, it's Marilyn Monroe's film debut. So and she's wonderful. And George Saunders is the villain. Actually, it's not her film debut. Her her first real notable role. It's the OK, like, first notable. Her film debut was in Love Happy with the Marx Brothers. Right. Her first. Like, it's it's kind of a, a, wow. a good role for her. Um, and it's also got Celeste Holm and um, a few other uh, uh a couple of other great people in it. Um, and it's where Betty Davis and her Gary, Gary, somebody that Gary she married, they, okay. not Gary Marshall. Um, uh, they fell in love on that set and both left their spouses. Gary Cooper. No, Gary, you have to, Gary, Gary Merrill. Coleman. Gary Merrill. <laughs> Gary Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you, you guys haven't heard Fasten Your Seatbelts? It's going to be a bumpy night. No. I said, I, just, I was the one who said, oh, I said Betty Davis. Good. Okay, God, I'm not losing my mind. Yeah, but you said it after she said it. No, no, while she was saying the quote, I said Betty Davis. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to see it. See, I've I've learned. You know, I love old movies. I love. That's what I did during the shutdown. Is I have I have a, a box set of of uh, Warner Brothers put out this this set of the 100 best movies of the 20th century, uh, in a, or, or Warner's first 100 years, and it goes all the way from the jazz singer all the way up to Inception, and we watch one every single a classic movie every night. But I learned not to say stuff like go into the detail that you just went into about this film in front of my kids because what I'll get is what dad did you see it when it came out i get that <laughs> i did not see all about eve when it came out but brian it's not a warner brothers but it's definitely one you should you would really appreciate it's well, a great movie i will i will definitely see it and in fact it, even though it's not a warner brothers there's a lot of stuff in this collection that i guess warner brothers got the rights to because because the wizard of oz which was mgm is in this collection yeah. so is gone with the wind which is also mgm is in this collection so i think there's a lot of stuff that that warners ended up getting the the, the rights to but i'll tell you what we saw i we saw some weird ass movies that I'd never seen before. And I, I, I just quite frankly don't get, you know, I've heard of all my life and just don't get any of you guys ever seen a clockwork orange. 
Oh, yes. oh, my, oh, oh my, I, don't, I, I just, what no, am no, I no, missing? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on right now. I literally have a four foot by five foot framed glass poster of that right now. I'm looking at it right now. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I, Get out of here. I, yeah. So what's your attraction to this movie? I just, uh, you know, I, I like I like Malcolm McDowell because uh, I, I loved him as H.G. Wells in Time After Time. And yeah. I think he's a he's a great actor. I've seen him in a number of things. And he's I guess he, his performance is good in this. But I just don't see what all the shouting is about about this film. What am I missing? OK, well, first of all, I bought this initially for artistic reasons. But what I learned from watching that movie was the juxtaposition of danger and lightness. And it taught me a lot about playing with comedy and flipping gears to drama because they stack it in this movie. The hmm. scenes where he's singing, I'm singing in the rain and beating people. That juxtaposition, oh, okay. the fascinating um, piece of work is just this. Okay, that makes sense. Structurally, that makes sense. And, and you know what, Don, as much as I, I'm cringing because I found that movie so disturbing, the, fact, yeah, that it, disturbing, yeah. it, the fact that it disturbed me means there was something that it did well, as opposed to, say, The Room, which I found the parts of it that I've seen, you know, it's like a movie that tries to be disturbing is just stupid. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, while we're talking about about movies and about Hollywood uh, as of today, as of as of this recording on Wednesday, the jury in the Harvey Weinstein sexual assault trial in Los Angeles is in its ninth day of deliberation. Prosecution's got to be sweating it nine yeah. days. I mean, I, I followed that trial. I, can't, I don't understand what the holdup is. Nine days. And they, they deliberated for thirty two and a half hours as of a couple hours ago. Nine days, two counts of forcible rape. Five counts of sexual assault of four different women, including the current first lady of, of California, Jennifer Siebel Newsom. And if you saw or heard any of her testimony, man. Yeah. Man. Really? I haven't seen it. Yeah. He, he raped her. Yeah. She was she was an up and coming actress and 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 got um, conned into a meeting with him you know, that he was going to help her career and all of this other kind of stuff. And he ended up raping her. Oh. I mean, the only I, I, should, I, could, I should say allegedly, I should say yeah. allegedly because he's not been convicted of it. I, I could say that that's what she alleges. But she's, you know, she's damn convincing to me. I she guess the only reason me. they'd be debating this long is just from what little I know about jury trials. A lot of it depends on what the instructions to the jury are and mm -hmm. what they're allowed to consider and not consider. You know, we're watching it from the outside and I'm with you, Brian. I, I'm surprised they didn't return a guilty verdict after an hour. Why do you think that 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 the movie she said bombed? I mean, it bombed. It's it's the it's the lowest. Uh, what is it? The, the lowest gross for any motion picture that was released in 2000 theaters. The, the lowest, the smallest gross gross uh, wow. ticket sales for any picture, I think, in the history of, of of the motion picture industry that has been released in 2000 theaters. Critics loved it. I saw it. Uh, I saw it when, you know, in week two and it was basically on its last legs and it was on, down to one screen. And I thought it was it was a powerful film. And 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 I was reading like some of the some of the criticism about or some of the, the rationale as to why it didn't do well. And one of the things was somebody said that it's because it's about journalism and journalists think that they're more interesting than they are. Excuse me. All the president's men is one of the all time great films. And that's yeah, a film. Oscar, film. Oscar, Oscar winner, right. Yeah. And, and this is like this is basically like all the president's men, except it deals with with sexual harassment and assault. 
you know, then tracking down sources and, and trying to get the story from people who won't talk and trying to get people to go on a record. And Ashley Judd is great at it. She plays herself. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's no explaining taste. I mean, it just there's so many things that just make no sense. I haven't seen the movie just because I was crazy busy when it came out and then it disappeared. But I heard great things about it. Um, but then, you know, these movies in their seventh or Fast and Furious nine is a hit. I mean, yeah, yeah so. Well, one of the things that they said, and I and I, I think that I, I can buy this rationale. One of the things that was said is that people just don't want to spend money to, to, to spend two hours talking about a horrible person. And to see a movie about a horrible person. And, and I could kind of see, I mean, if somebody made a movie about Hitler, no matter yeah. how well it was acted, no, no matter how well it was acted, no matter how compelling the screenplay was, I'm not paying, I'm not giving them my money to see that. You know, you, you, you people are, are, are not going to the movies as often as they did anyway in the age right. of COVID. So if you only go to the movies once a month, whereas, you know, I was going once a week for a while uh, or, or twice a week, you know, because I have that AMC thing where you pay exactly. 20 bucks a month to get to see three movies a week for 20 uh, bucks a month. Exactly. So, yeah. so I was seeing everything that came out now, you know, in the age of COVID, I, I go maybe once or twice a month. I'll go and see something. But I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't go see a, a film about Hitler. Um, I don't I don't see slavery movies anymore because they're too disturbing and I don't want to watch and I don't see Holocaust movies anymore because yeah. I don't want I don't want to see people be mistreated for two hours. No, and there's enough of that in the real world. It's like that's I, I don't go see anything too upsetting because there's a lot of that in the news. And there's maybe there was that rational. There's so much sexual harassment and misbehavior in the news. Maybe people just didn't want to see more. They didn't want to pay to see it. I think you might yeah, maybe two things that come to mind for me are that uh, Hollywood, whether they're whether there's people actively trying to hold this movie down or not, I can't say. But nobody wants to talk about this. Nobody wants to talk about how they enabled this kind of crap to go on for mm -hmm. so long. Mm -hmm. And then the other side is that, you know, I haven't seen any advertising for this movie. Me I've only either. heard it. I've only heard it talked about in this context of why aren't people seeing it or um, why is this movie, you know, or does Harvey Weinstein have anything to do with, you know, keeping this keeping people from talking about it or whatever, because he still has, because he for sure still has, you know, friends and powerful friends in the industry. Um, other than that, yeah, I probably wouldn't want to go see this. If well, I there was were, there were the trailers, there were trailers though, Jason, there, that, that's yeah. how I knew about the film. And what made me want to go see it was the trailers were so compelling. They were powerful too. The trailers. Well, then how much, how much did they spend on advertising is the, is the other, is the other, like, did it, was it a big enough advertising campaign to get people to come see it? Because it's got like 87% on Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes. Tomatoes. Yeah. yeah, the critics loved it. Um, you know who produced this film? Brad Pitt. Yeah. Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, plan, plan oh, B. yeah because he, he um, actually confronted Harvey Weinstein straight up and said, if you do anything else, I'm going to knock you straight out. Well, no, here's what the deal was. He was dating Gwyneth Paltrow at the time, yeah. and he came on to Gwyneth Paltrow. And right. Gwyneth Paltrow went home and told Brad Pitt and right. then Brad Pitt said he was going to put it. Where's where's he from Missouri? He said he was he would put a Missouri whooping on him if uh, right. if, if he touched her again. And apparently after that, she he, uh, Weinstein called Gwyneth Paltrow and yelled and screamed and ranted and raved at her for telling Brad Pitt what he'd done. He tried to get yeah. he tried to get his trial moved because of that film. 
And um, if he's and I said, if he's convicted, that's going to be grounds for appeal, because his argument was, is that, look, there's this movie coming out that's going to be really critical of me and it's coming out right in the middle of the trial. So how am I supposed to get a fair trial when these these jurors, I don't think were sequestered. Uh, I could be wrong, but I, I didn't read anywhere that they were sequestered. And there's a film that's dropping about his terrible behavior in the middle of the trial. But, you know, now he's gloating about the fact that nobody saw it. But the judge said, no, the judge says we start on time. So if he's convicted, that's a grounds for. Well, it would have been a grounds for appeal, but nobody saw it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it is sad to get a fair trial. For yeah, a he needed the movie saw. to be a smash to help him. Right? Maybe the, maybe the prosecution squashed the movie to limit his grounds for appeal. <laughs> um, other other court news today. Um, Scott Peterson, I don't know if you heard about this. I remember Scott Peterson, who, who was convicted yeah. of murdering his wife, Lacey Peterson, 20 yeah. years ago. Uh, on Christmas Eve, um, right. at Christmas Eve, what was it? 2000, what, two, 2001? I forget, but it's it's about 20 years ago. He was sentenced to death. Uh, she was pregnant and uh, pregnant, murdered, as was her unborn son. So her husband, Scott Peterson, was convicted of it. He was sentenced to death. His death sentence got thrown out and it was uh, commuted, not commuted. I guess he was resentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. And the reason was because one of the jurors hid information about bias from uh, from the court during jury selection. And so because of that, the death sentence was thrown out. Now he's trying to get a new trial because of the conduct of that same juror. And her name is uh, Rochelle Nice. I, it's spelled N-I-C-E. So I'm assuming it's a niece, not nice. Um, and she hid from the court that she had filed a restraining order in 2000 when she was pregnant, saying that she was for, she feared for the life of her unborn child. And then during jury selection, she was she was asked whether or not she could make a decision based on the evidence presented in court and not her personal opinions. And she said no. And his lawyers didn't challenge that. His lawyers should have kept her off the jury once she said that. And they didn't. So he's trying to get a new trial. And I'll tell you, you know, I don't know if you guys remember or if you followed that, but it was like, you know, I've watched the two documentaries on, on it. And over the course of the last year, there have been two different documentaries that have come out on that case. And I've always thought that he did it and that yeah. he's guilty as hell, but they didn't prove it. They didn't. All they proved was that he's a liar and that he's an adulterer. They never proved he killed her. They don't know where she was killed. They don't know when she was killed. They don't know how she was killed. So how do you send a guy to death when you can't prove any of those things? Yeah. Well, the circumstantial evidence around the case in terms of where he was, the time, she's pregnant. She would not yeah. be out there by herself. Right. There, there were a lot of holes. What I listened to was a, a detailed MSNBC audio. Yeah, I heard that. I listened yeah. to that, too. And, and so I, I don't see where the holes are that he didn't do it. Well, but is it beyond a reasonable doubt when, when you don't know where she was killed, when you don't know how she was killed? As I said, his behavior, I mean, well, they proved he was a liar. They proved he was an adulterer. And the thing that blew my mind was he's at a candlelight vigil before they found her body. He's at a candlelight vigil for his missing wife, missing pregnant wife. And he's on the phone with his girlfriend telling her that he's in Paris looking at the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> he said this candlelight vigil. I mean, right. that's that's a special kind of piece of crap. You you, you had an error in that uh, comment. You called her his girlfriend, and it was his side piece. Well, she didn't know that. 
she right. thought she thought she was his girlfriend. She I, and again, how she had no idea who she was. I mean, that blows my mind. How I mean, it, it's in the you like never turn on a TV. You never open the newspaper. I mean, this was not like one of those little cases that was off to the side. This was everywhere. Yeah. I mean, this was like the OJ trial at the time. This was Dude, everywhere. Yeah. And she had no idea. No idea until somebody called her and said something. Yeah. She, she took him to her office Christmas party or something. And uh, and somebody called her and said, you know, I think this guy, you might want to, you know, <laughs> you might want to check him out a little bit. Right. You might want to vet a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good Lord. So but no, they they proved they proved he was a liar and an adulterer. They, I don't think they proved he killed him. Yeah, there was a lot of circumstantial evidence, but I don't think that beyond a reasonable doubt they proved it. So but I, I don't know if they can prove it now or not. I don't know if they have, you know, with with technology, if they can, you know, have a better theory of what happened or, or you know, prove what happened. But um, anyway, uh, so do you think he should get another trial? No, no, no. Mm, I'd have to read it a little bit more. It's been a while. Yeah, I, I have so. to admit, I'm not paying attention to that story because there's so much other awful news out. Yeah, there's so many other terrible things. All right, well, we'll end on something good. Oh, today, good. Today, I didn't want to end on that. <laughs> today is the 97th birthday of Dick Van Dyke. Oh, wow. I have to tell you that when my son came into the room yesterday, my, my 26-year-old lives with me, and he said, Mom, did you hear about Dick Van Dyke? And I was like, oh, crap, no. And he said, he turns 97 tomorrow. <laughs> so he totally got me. You know what? I, I saw him trending on Twitter, and that's the first thing. There's certain people, when you see him trending, you think, oh, no. Yeah. And that was exactly it. I assumed he was dead. I assumed him and he died. He came out and saw me in Not a Genuine Black Man when I did, I did it in Malibu. And Dick wow. Van Dyke came. He, at the time, he was uh, his significant other for like 20 years was um, uh, Michelle Triola. Who, who the one who ended who had sued Lee Marvin for palimony and the, right, the, right. the way that, that palimony became part of the lexicon and, and a legal concept. Yeah, that's uh, seven year window, right? That's right. That's right. After after Lee Marvin, she hooked up with Dick Van Dyke and she was with him until the day he till the day she died. Mm. He never officially married her, I don't think. But anyway, they came out to the show, which was like, wow. You know, I mean, talk about nervous. I, I've been a very. Uh, I don't know. It's it's like, you know, being in I've been in the down in Hollywood since 1981. And over the years, I've never been one big on getting a picture with someone or getting an autograph. It's just a very small handful of people I felt important enough to do. And I got his autograph years ago. He's one of the few people I asked to, to sign something. I it's always, always, liked him. always I, liked him. I've never met him, but everybody I've talked to who has has said he is as nice as you would think, which is always such a relief because there are so many people who have nice public personas and turn out to be jerks. Yeah. But he, I've heard he's just as nice as you would think. Yeah, he was. A, he was a lovely man. I talked to him for just a couple of minutes. He is still a lovely man. Yeah. I Don't mean, do that I, to me. No, what I say was <laughs> I met I met my contact with him. When oh, I, when okay. I talked to him. He was a lovely man. When I when I when I spoke to him, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that, you know, because of what it is that I, I do, I, I have gotten a chance to meet a lot of my heroes, most of my heroes who are still alive. I'm sorry that I miss George Burns and Jack Benny. I would have loved to have met them. But the only person I think the only person who's alive today who I really, 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 really want to meet, but haven't been able to. And I've actually tried to get to her a couple of times without success is Carol Burnett. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, have you met her? Yes, I, I did. You oh, better. Wow. I, mean, I was out for um, a call. She was doing a new 
a sketch show years back. This had to be like literally 89 or something like that. She was doing a new sketch show and I went in and I auditioned and I just completely didn't care about my audition and said, I don't care if I get this or not. I just want to have an opportunity to meet you. you I love your work. I just like didn't care about whether I got it or not. And then she could sense that. She was really, really. <laughs> she was really, really kind and really sweet. Oh, I've, I've heard nothing but good things about her. I've, was, she, well, she was. A, you know what? Why she's so great? She was a fan first. She was. A, yeah. She grew up, you know, telling people that Jimmy Stewart was her father because she saw every Jimmy Stewart movie that ever came out and always wished that he were her dad. I mean, she she worked at. Uh, I, I think she got fired. As a matter of fact, she she worked at like the. Uh, at, at like Grauman's Chinese theater or one of the theaters in Hollywood as yeah. an usher. And she would like ball people out who left the movie early. Yeah. And, I love it. You know, and she got fired for that, for, you know, but, but she was a fan. She was like a super fan first. And she, she talks, us, go ahead. Okay. She talks about that. And she's another, I'm a huge fan of audio, but memoirs. And she talks about her childhood and loving the movies and living with a grandmother. And I think she, she does tell that story of getting fired. Uh, in the memoir, she's she's hilarious. Well, I saw I listened to an interview with her on the Hollywood Reporter podcast awards chatter. I, I highly recommend uh, the, the host of that show does a deep dive um, every week with one. He has a, you only get to go on once with one either, you know, legend or current, you know, hot actor, or actress or somebody who's up for an Emmy or an Oscar or whatever. And he had he had Carol Burnett on. And one of the stories she told that was fascinating was that she um, when she was doing her first stage work in Los Angeles, I think she was at UCLA or something. And um, there was this wealthy guy and his wife who took a liking to her and her and her boyfriend at the time who were both you know, kind of a, an acting team and said that that uh, they would stake her you know, to to go to New York and, you know, ask what she wanted to do. And she wanted to be on Broadway and wanted to, you know, wanted to, to be in plays and things. And they said that they would stake her and financially, um, you know, support her. But as long as she never told anybody that they did it. And so to this day, she won't t say who it is, who it was. Yeah. And apparently, I guess there's well, I don't know if they're still around or not. But um, they, you know, she said she never would have made it. She never would have gone to New York, which is where she first broke, had it not been for them. You know, so that nice. Not a great story. Yeah, absolutely. Incidentally, uh, the movie was Strangers on the Train that she got to it with the people who were leaving. Oh, they were leaving. Yeah. On the train. Oh, Alfred, how do you walk out on that movie? That's a great movie. The Alfred Hitchcock uh, film. The other Carol Burnett story I love is that um, when she was doing the the the. Gary, God, there are too many Gary's it was the Gary Morton show. <laughs> this is the, the no, not Gary yeah. Morton. It was Gary. Um, Gary Morton was Lucy's husband. That's right. She's uh, on a sketch comedy. She's yeah. on a sketch comedy show with somebody named Gary. But then she was working with her music director who wrote a song for her called I Made a Fool of Myself over John Foster Dulles. Yes. Who was the very boring secretary of state. So that has always been my sort of like I've written a few songs about politicians that I always hoped would break through for me like that did for her. But that was her was, first national TV. Yep. And and it's and it, the footage is on YouTube and you can just see already how funny and charming she was. You ever see Once Upon a Mattress? Any any rendition of it? 
Yes, and I've music directed it and directed it and um, seen it. And she played, she was the original Winifred, but then there's a TV version where she plays the queen too. Oh, awesome. I'll yeah. find out. There's so much great stuff on YouTube. It's amazing how much stuff is on YouTube. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's mention again, uh, Lauren, your album. Yeah, uh, the album is called Don't Mind Me. I'll just sit here in the dark. It's comedy songs reframing the Jewish mother, and it's available at laurenmayershop.com. And then my weekly songs come out on Friday at uh, YouTube. My channel is Psycho Supermom, and I'm doing something about the Twitter files this week. All right. Uh, Don Reed. Uh, please come see uh, the Never Too Late show. Uh, my tale about never giving up. Hopefully you walk away inspired. It's called the Never Too Late Show because ideally you walk away thinking about what you think it might never be too late to do. That book you're supposed to write, that song you're supposed to try to sing. And there won't be any more tickets for this year. This is going to sell out very quickly. But I start with a preview top of the year and opening night is January 14th. Please come see the Never Too Late Show at the Marsh in Berkeley, themarsh.org for tickets. All right. And Jason Mack, you're studying. He's off, he's off studying now. He's, reading. <laughs> he's going. <laughs> he's got a test. He's got a cram. Did we, for did we lose him? <laughs> I guess we did. Technically, yeah, that happens yeah. sometimes. Technically, that happens sometimes. Uh, well, I want to mention that uh, I am doing my Christmas show, uh, The Jewelry Box, uh, which I first opened in 2013 and have done uh, every Christmas season up through 2019. Uh, I'm doing three performances of it uh, in, in Northern California this weekend. On Thursday, tomorrow night, uh, I'll be at the Altarina Playhouse with it in Alameda, California. On Saturday, I'm at the Marsh in San Francisco. And on Sunday, I am doing it uh, as part of uh, the solo series that I produce called this, the Best of San Francisco Solo Series. And that is in San Leandro uh, in the theater at the San Leandro Library. So uh, for ticket information, uh, the Marsh is themarsh.org. Uh, Altarina Playhouse and, uh, and the other, just go to my website at briancopeland.com. I'm nervous as hell about doing this show because this will be the first time I've done it live since 2019. So I've done it every year and then I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to relearn it, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's like, a, you know, I, what I find you find this Don, cause you're like me, you've got multiple shows. This is my, I've got grandma on me is my sixth, I think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and if there's a show you haven't done in a long time and you bring it back for me, it's like a song where if you get the first couple of bars, then you remember the rest of how the song goes. It's, it's so much like that. I'm, I'm glad you said that um, because it kind of puts it in perspective. But it, it seems like once you get up and running, you're shocked at how much you remember. Yeah. And then, wait a minute. Wait. OK. And then after a couple of like a, a full one first full rehearsal, you're kind of back in there. Right. Yeah. Well, what it is that you forget, what I'm finding that is that I forget anyways, I forget the nuances. You know, oh, yeah. I forget the nuances. Or there's a look here or, or the way that that line is said there or or um, the blocking. I'm supposed to walk over here instead of walking over there or, or those those kinds of things. That's the stuff that I'm finding that I, I have to remember is I'm I'm been rehearsing the hell out of this thing for the last 10 days. So um, so hopefully I'll be ready on Thursday night. Hopefully ready on Thursday night. You will. You will. Break right. a leg. Well, thank you, uh, Lauren Mayer, Don Reed, and the missing Jason Mack. Thanks all for being here, and thanks for supporting this podcast, you guys. I really appreciate it. We'll have you back on in the new year. 
And again, I want to thank you for listening and uh, for supporting this podcast, not just today, but over the course of, as I said, going on three years. I can't believe we're doing this this long. Um, if you want to continue to support us, there are a number of things that you can do. Um, one is to go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That helps people to find the show. You can subscribe, and by doing that, automatically you'll get the show every single week. You won't miss an episode. Uh, in addition to that, you can also t- uh, tweet or uh, email the link out to people who you think would enjoy it tell anybody you know any way that you possibly can uh two unsung heroes on this show who we we hardly ever mention i want to mention and i want to thank um for all of the hard work that they put into the show every single week and have been since day one and that is executive producers jaron williams and charlene goto uh jaron books all the comics for the show and uh, charlene records engineers it puts it together uh cuts out our f-bombs all of that stuff <laughs> she edits out our f-bombs and all of that stuff that she does so uh charlene and jaron thank you so much because there'd be no podcast without you So uh, have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. This is the last show of the year again. We'll be back on uh, January the, what is it, January the 4th? Thursday, January the 5th is when we'll be back. We'll record it on the 4th. We'll be back on the 5th. So uh, until next year, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year. Be kind to your neighbor. He knows where you live.